Fantasy Focus Football is presented by Geico. Switch to Geico and see all the ways you could save. It's Tuesday, May 2nd, and it is confirmed we have a Super Bowl champion because after the NFL draft, you can declare these things, right, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Let's the Eagles, how, who are they beating in the Super Bowl? Because it felt like beating, after this past uh, weekend that they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to not say a rematch with the Chiefs, right? Okay. But that never happens. Yeah. When's the last time that happened? That would have been uh, Dallas and Buffalo, right? Uh, wow, I think that's, that does I, sound right. I think me. that was right, probably Wait, did 90s. Green Bay and, and, and Denver play back-to-back years or no? I don't think so. I don't okay, think so. Yeah, I think the Packers it, I think beat the Patriots, and then yeah, the Broncos beat the Packers, and then the Broncos mm-hmm. beat somebody else the following year. Yeah. So or not, I, th- no, I think that's back. it. They didn't repeat. But they might be the two best teams right now. I mean, yeah. you can make a case for the Bengals. And I'll if Tua stays healthy, yeah. low-key Miami. I mean, Ooh, that is a, good a spicy one right there. roster right there. I mean, that's so hard because stacked. that division is so good that like yeah. it's hard for me to yeah. pick a non-Buffalo team as a real title contender right now. Yeah, but man, I, the AFC in general is that could just go any direction. Right? That, that division's wide open, but and in a good way. Joining us now after uh, of an appearance at the Met Gala, find your bell. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you wearing? Nicely done, field. <laughs> Nicely done. Well, you know, it was a Carl Lagerfeld themed. Met Gala, so mm. you know I went with the theme. There is Me and nothing. Giselle. So yeah, mm-hmm. so <laughs> of course. I got to tell you, like just for ten seconds here, nothing like there's no funnier night of Twitter than Met Gala Twitter oh, because there are there are there is some crossover. Like uh-huh. I follow yeah. people who oh, have an yeah. interest in fashion. I also follow people that are also no, at the Met Gala. There are a lot of athletes, right? Like Brian right. Wade was there, Patrick Mahomes was there, Tom Brady has been a staple there in the past. Mm. Plenty of athletes. <laughs> not have this time. Been, uh, yeah, not this year, <laughs> but Tom Brady has been at the Met Gala. Plenty of athletes have been at the Met Gala uh, for several years now. Stephon Diggs was there. So it's like this crossover when I'm like, that's the most ludicrous outfit I have ever seen and it's considered high fashion. <laughs> it's right? art. Yes, art, art and high fashion. Right. Okay. So when is the Fantasy that... Focus crew going? Is uh, it, we could all show up together. Be, yeah, we need to have a strong year in 2023 yeah. and then we'll get that's the 2024 yeah. invite i'm that's sure the anna wintour would like us to be represented uh, but, it, show it, but it was legitimately hilarious last night when like my timeline was a smorgasbord of like <laughs> james harden hits another three meanwhile here's like <laughs> yeah. somebody who was wearing an umbrella for a hat at the met gala that umbrella by the way cost thirty nine thousand dollars if you buy it at the one location it's available in you know like nice France, right? So, anyways, you bought Met one. Gala, you out. know because you looked it up. You bought uh, one. Yeah, on an eBay. Feels like, like I need this. Now. I was trying to get the budget one on e- eBay to no success. You just bought a regular umbrella, yeah. like a four dollar. Since umbrella. we're off the rails to start, I'm gonna just add one thing. Did you see what James Harden wore to the arena? Yeah, he looked like he was trying to be at the Met Gala last night. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. uh, the best tweet I saw was about you know. Like, hey, Cookie Monster, tell us if you're okay. <laughs> well, the only thing, yeah, that's fair. One thing I will say, though, is that, like, when you drop 46 points like he did last night in mm-hmm. an otherworldly performance, he could have worn whatever. He could have worn a Speedo last Fact. night. I would have yeah. said, you know what? Do your thing, James, because for at least one night, it was James Harden's yeah. seat. How about them Sixers? Trying to copy Steph. Let's go. Sixers. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Uh, the <laughs> NFL draft is now officially over. We're going to start the show by reacting to rounds two through seven. Not every pick because there were a ton of quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers and tight ends taken. But we're going to start with the uh, the news of the weekend and then dive into the veteran news, I should say, and then dive into just some rookies and some of them in, in very expedient form mm-hmm. before we wrap up with some draft winners and losers. But the news of the weekend on the veteran front was that the Eagles struck again, Mike, as your Philadelphia Eagles traded for DeAndre Swift from the Lions. The writing was on the wall there when they took Jameer Gibbs 12th overall. Philly paid a fourth rounder in 2025, so two years out, uh-huh. plus a seventh round pick this year, which they swapped for DeAndre Swift 
and a seventh round pick coming back for the Lions. So mm-hmm. uh, Philly gets another weapon in that backfield, Mike. I don't think they enter the draft saying that running back was a major need. This struck me as opportunity knocked, and they decided to take that opportunity. Let's talk about the fantasy impact, though. Mm-hmm. Just going from Detroit, and I'm not talking about going from being the third string running back in Detroit, but going from where he was in prior years in Detroit to Philadelphia, boost the fantasy stock of DeAndre Swift. Yeah, so I think it's pretty similar, probably. I mean, a little bit of a downgrade from where he was before the draft, right? So obviously when Gibbs got drafted by Detroit, we knew right then and there, we talked about it on the pod on Friday, uh, they're going to make a move, right? We knew a move was coming. Yeah. Uh, DeAndre Swift was going elsewhere. Uh, as for the Eagles, felt like uh, kind of a luxury move, right? It, it cost him a fourth a few years out. They bring him in, and, and now he's going to be part of what I expect to be a committee. Remember, they signed Rashad Penny. When he is healthy, he's been one of the most effective backs in the NFL. But remember, Swift is more of a well-rounded. He's the most well-rounded back on their roster right mm-hmm. now. He's super effective, five and a half yards per carry last season. Durability has been problematic. He's a terrific pass catcher. And I, actually, pass catching is the interesting one for me, right? Because... To some extent, he'll be limited as a rusher, right? Penny's there. You're going to have Gainwell mixed in a little bit. When they play the Giants, Boston Scott's going to score a touchdown. We know these things, right? But Jalen Hurts has not targeted the running back much. And you might say, well, okay, that's a personnel thing, right? They're going to bring in Swift, and they're going to throw to him more design plays for him, maybe to an extent, but not like in Detroit. They have Philadelphia has A.J. Brown. They have Devontae Smith. They have Dallas Goddard. They have other players to focus on. And, of course, again, I don't think Kenny Gainwell is just going to disappear completely. So I think you're going to see three guys rotated in, and it's going to limit the upside. But if one of these guys has an RB2 ceiling or can jump into the top 15, it is swift. If he stays healthy and gets 12 to 14 carries and five targets, I mean, that's going to be super valuable in fantasy. So I think there's more of a ceiling than maybe he's getting credit for right now. He's still 24 years old. In, behind another great offensive line, there are a lot of things to like here. Yeah, so I, I don't want to play the contrarian side here because I actually think, and I'm, I'm coining this phrase, I'm calling it a royal flush outcome. Like when a player reaches mm-hmm. his best possible outcome for the season, I'm calling it the royal flush. Okay. Clearly the, the the highest ceiling royal flush of all the Philadelphia backs that we are concerned about right now is DeAndre Swift, right? Like mm-hmm. if he does his best, I think it's better than what, Rashad Penny can do of course, his very yeah. best because of the receiving upside that Swift does have. Uh, I guess, like, if I were to give reasons for a little bit more pause and maybe sort of line up with where I think some people are, Mike, I think, one, Philadelphia is going to use all four backs, like, in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. right? This is not going to be even a two-man split, probably even be weeks where it's not even a three-man split. It will be a true four-man committee in some weeks for the Eagles, and it may be difficult to figure out when those weeks are going to be. Beyond that, you talked about some of the receiving concerns, not for DeAndre Swift, but just because of the offense he plays in. And then, last thing I'll say, and again, it, we all, all we are all applauding the Eagles for this move, but, like, there was a reason, like, why Detroit was willing to move on from mm-hmm. this player, right? Like, has a skill set, but it's been very clear through three seasons that there are limitations to DeAndre Swift that maybe don't necessarily meet our eye as fantasy football scouts that cause him to be less, have a less pronounced role week in and week out, at least for Detroit, and maybe that's the case in Philadelphia. So I think we've settled out in a similar spot, though, a, a strong RB3 right now. Maybe exactly. low in RB2. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd be targeting him as a flex. Yeah. I think the injury factor is kind of a big deal yeah. um, because it's been a problem for him. You know, ongoing shoulder problems for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, running backs don't last in Detroit, if you've noticed. I mean, a lot of them leave. They complain about the field surface there. They do better when they go elsewhere. I felt like this was a better move for the Eagles than it was for fantasy. Like, very smart, right? Because they have... They have uh, basically packaged insurance within the depth of their roster. So I love it for them. 
I don't feel awesome about fantasy options for him. Yeah, I, so again, I have him like we're running back 22, 23 right now is DeAndre Swift. Rashad Penny got bumped down to closer yeah. to RB30 just because mm-hmm. the path to a much, like a, a huge role is, is less obvious right now. Uh, other side of this is the Detroit side. And Mike, I don't, this didn't really even move my rankings at all because truthfully, when they traded Jamar, Jameer, or assigned, drafted Jameer Gibbs, I went through every possible way to acquire him before mm-hmm. I actually said drafted. But <laughs> once they drafted Jameer Gibbs, I sort of figured, all right, well, the the story is closed for DeAndre Swift right. in, in, in Detroit. So let's just assume he is not part of this calculation going forward. I kept Jameer Gibbs where I had him before, which was actually comparable to where I now have DeAndre Swift, like right around RB20 in my ranks. Yeah, I'm a little higher. Actually, I think just scanning over our rankings, I think I'm highest. I, I Gibbs at 16, so I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Again, it's not like he was just a first-round pick. He was the 12th overall pick, right? They invested a lot in him, and there's a reason for that. They like him a lot. Uh, you saw them, you know, if you saw the video of them celebrating after they took him, they're fired up to get this guy. Yep. The only really not the real knock there is that he's a little undersized, right? He's under 200 pounds. That can be a red flag, but... You know, we've seen uh, like Austin Eckler for, you know, obviously he's the extreme example, but he's a guy that's been a fantasy superstar with a similar frame. So uh, I'm excited for him. He's going to be a feature back. And again, in a backfield that led the NFL in running back fantasy points last season, I, I think he's the 1A, Montgomery, the 1B. Once things get settled after a few weeks, I like him a lot. I think he's an RB2, Montgomery, more of a flex option. One lesson that I think is important to either remind people or perhaps teach them is people have asked, if Jameer Gibbs is going to have this massive role, well, then why did you sign David Montgomery? I get it. Free agency in the draft are only five, six weeks apart. That is like really an eternity, though, like in the football roster construction spectrum, right? They signed David Montgomery at the time because they felt like they needed a power back. It wasn't exactly clear how the board was going to shake out, but there was just one guy in this entire draft, the running back position, that brings the skill set that Jameer Gibbs does. They're probably in mid-March thinking, we've got DeAndre Swift. He's certainly up and down. We don't know if there's anybody like this available in free agency or in the draft right now. Let's make sure that we get David Montgomery in the building Mm -hmm. And we'll sort out the potential for a receiving option back, whether that's keeping DeAndre Swift, moving on from DeAndre Swift, or drafting his replacement. We'll worry about that next month. I don't think that they are viewing this as, hey, we knew the time at the time we signed David Montgomery that we were also going to draft Jameer Gibbs. I think they said, we really like this player. It's a reasonable contract. We'll see what happens in the draft. I don't think this. Um, I don't think if the, the Lions could redo it they would bypass the opportunity to sign David Montgomery. No, they needed two backs anyway. You know, Jamal Williams left, and they knew they knew coming into the offseason they were moving on from DeAndre Swift. So they went in knowing once Jamal left, they needed two backs. Montgomery is one, and obviously Gibbs is the second. And frankly, probably going to be better than last yeah. year. I mean, they're more well-rounded backs and, you know, obviously more pedigree there. Yeah. So uh, it could be an upgrade in that back deal, which is scary because, again, 501 fantasy points scored by their running backs last season. 17 rushing touchdowns from Jamal Williams certainly helps. I Mm -hmm. I do think Jameer Gibbs is one of the players that, despite the fact that he got a lot of love in the pre-draft process from draft Twitter, there actually might be a bigger gap than we realize between how the league valued him and how draft Twitter valued him. And I think the reason is this. B. John Robinson got all this love, and justifiably so, Mm -hmm. that it almost made the rest of the running back class footnote right it's like he's not as good as Bijan Robinson so it just doesn't matter Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme and because so many of us have become accustomed to 
not using a first-round pick on a running back, we're like, well, Bijan's fine. The rest of them, we'll see. I think Jameer Gibbs' skill set is perhaps more special than people in draft Twitter gave it credit for. That's a big part of the reason why the Lions use the 12th overall pick on him. All right, let's get to rounds two through seven. There are a lot of names here, guys. We're just going to kind of be quick with these because the reality is one of the themes of this year's draft, I hate to be the buzzkill, is that a lot of running backs, heck, wide receivers too, that weren't drafted in round one, to not end up in particularly favorable spots. Mm -hmm. Two quarterbacks to talk about from rounds two to seven, at least in my mind. Will Levis, who goes to Tennessee, pick 34 overall. And I think there's a chance, Mike, that he ends up starting some number of games this season. But barring a change, it's Ryan Tannehill's job. He may have zero redraft value for the entire season. Yep, this is going to be a how many wins do the Titans have at, you know, whatever month it is on the calendar, right? I mean, if they're in contention in the AFC South or for a playoff spot, it's going to be Tannehill, unless he's really struggling, which Mm -hmm. is unlikely. We know what he is. Uh, But if they start to fall out of the race, it's going to be Levis down the stretch. So I think I have a projected right now, like 14 starts for Tannehill, three for Levis, because I don't think the Titans are very good right now. They might be a bottom five roster at the moment. Uh, So yeah, Levis, Dynasty, hold, no redraft value. And so I'm with you there, Dynasty. I I will be very fascinated to see what happens with Will Levis. I was more optimistic on the skill set than I think most were during the pre-draft process. I'm probably a bit biased. He's from Massachusetts. He went to high school 15 minutes from where we are right yeah. now. Love following his career. I know he didn't beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State, but Mel Kuyper will tell you this. Joe Burrow was a backup quarterback. You've got plenty of other quarterbacks. How about Tom Brady? Tom Brady. Jalen Hurts. Yeah, like exactly. There are a lot their of jobs, examples yeah. of, plays, of quarterbacks who college football is just a totally different beast in mm-hmm. so many ways. I- I thought Sorry. you were going to say something. Yeah. I was. Yeah, go. Ahead. I was just going to say that I know that some people were concerned. There was a lot of talk about his toe injury that he had. And, uh, you know, was that going to be a problem for him as a quarterback? Uh, I have been reassured that um, this is something that if it does become a problem, it's ultimately fixable. Uh, so for now, like he can play and there's no issue there, but it's not the kind of thing that should derail a career yeah i would say right for right now keep an eye on him in dynasty maybe i'm more of a believer than i should be and it's not like they have a bunch of weapons there in tennessee right now that inspire confidence but i hope will levis uh, writes a different narrative compared to the one that i think followed him for much of the pre-draft process Hendon hooker goes to detroit before i ask you about his dynasty value mike's to find a quick check-in medically Torres acl late in the college football season recently returned to the field with some dropbacks any sense of how far along he is yeah i think some teams were concerned to be honest mm. um i've heard uh, varying things but i think some felt like maybe wasn't quite where uh they hoped he would be at this point in the recovery process um he's had a couple other injury issues so i think that you know this always we talk about this going into the draft this always gets baked into the value and different teams are willing to take different different amounts of risk so uh there were definitely some teams who were concerned about it but as far as landing spots go mike i think this is actually a good one for hendon hooker for a few reasons first of all we have already begun the discussion which maybe we shouldn't surrounding whether the lions need to uh, plan their bridge route beyond mm. jared goff right because some still view jared goff as not a winning quarterback. He played really good football last year, though, but he's got mm-hmm. just two years left on his contract. The team has said, we're in a good spot right now with that deal. We're not necessarily exploring an extension, but he doesn't need to play this year, just Hendon Hooker. And if he does play in 2024, 
this offense all of a sudden has got a bunch of enviable pieces on it, right? Yeah, definitely. And I like it as a lottery ticket because if he doesn't work out, it was not a huge investment. If he does, then you're like, okay, we have our next quarterback and we can focus on building the rest of the roster. So I like these kind of flyers. The same thing applies to Levis, right? And, you know, the, that applies to a lot of these quarterbacks that were in the first few rounds. So uh, fine with that. But again, no value short term. You have the injury concerns. Uh, and you have Jared Goff there. They're a team that's expecting to win that division this year. So yeah. he's just not going to see the field. But by the way, we should mention this. He's a runner, right? There's a lot of upside because in fantasy because of what he does with his legs. A huge ceiling Which in that department. Which is why he needs to get his legs healthy. But I will yeah. say this. Detroit hired a new uh, head overseeing all their medical and performance stuff. So I feel more confident about where he landed. This is usually a big deal for me. If a guy is coming into a team and he's got an injury concern or something he's rehabbing from, where does he land? Does he land at a place that's going to make sure he's really ready to play, work with him to get him back up to speed, or is it a place that's going to force him out too soon? He is in a great situation from that standpoint in Detroit. Yeah, so the only negative, well, we listed a couple negatives, but you know, this is going to be a red sh- redshirt year, and he's 25 already, yeah. you know. So that's, I mean, he's he's actually older than Jared Goff. He's not really. Is, uh, yeah, who's the, is there an NFL player that we are constantly talking about his age? Like in the NBA, it's always like, Jason Tatum is only 19 still, <laughs> yeah, right? I, know, yeah. um, I don't know if there's an NFL equivalent to Jason to, Tatum, but yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hendon Hooker's age is certainly of note when we are discussing this for dynasty value. Yeah, uh, it's, there's one uh, from the draft is Sean Clifford, who the Packers drafted in the yes, middle rounds, is older, older than, than Jordan, Jordan Love. Love. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> right? All right. So we do know this about Zach Charbonnet. He's a really good player. And that's part of the reason why, for fantasy purposes, I was disappointed uh, that he went where yeah. he went. Yep. Zach Charbonnet, the third running back off the Pain. board. He goes to the Seahawks, 51st overall. And I'm thinking to myself, wait. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country. There's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. 51st overall. Let me just pretend like that actually isn't the Seahawks logo. Please be the Bengals. Please be the Bengals. Please be the Bengals. Be something else, right? Instead, Zach Charbonnet, two years at UCLA, two years at Michigan. Very highly touted recruit back in the day. A guy who doesn't have necessarily an elite trait. He's not a fast guy, not sort of the biggest guy, not the twitchiest guy, but does everything really well. Goes to Seattle. The one spot where I was preparing for the breakout year mm-hmm. of Kenneth Walker III. Yeah. And breakout is a bit of a subjective term, right? Obviously, he was tremendous last year, mm-hmm. but he could level up. You and mm-hmm. I had a conversation about this in our breakout piece that recently went on ESPN.com, Mike. But Zach Charbonnet going to Seattle, as far as landing spots go for him, I actually think it's fine. Like, I think they're going to... What I think is the most important part for Zach Charbonnet going to Seattle is he went there in the second round, yeah. right? Like, if it had been a fourth-round pick for Zach Charbonnet, I'd at least say to myself, like, all right, you know, like, fourth-round picks, I don't know how strongly you can assert that this guy is absolutely going to play. The 51st overall pick in a draft where the Seahawks could have addressed other needs that mm-hmm. they still have, mm-hmm. they instead use it on Zach Charbonnet. Rookie running backs drafted in the first two rounds should be playing a ton out of the gates. This is bad news for Kenneth Walker III. I think it's okay news for Zach Charbonnet. But 
man, Kenneth Walker the third's value that I thought could have gone up instead kind of feels like it's stuck in neutral now. I'm surprised to hear you say it's an okay landing spot. I mean, I think it's close to a worst case scenario <laughs> in terms of his fantasy output yeah. and ceiling. I mean, so, but this is okay. another Seahawks move. That, it felt to me like this is a team that's been burned by running back injuries, right? They've miscalculated. They have, yeah. They've been, ta- but it's kind of like when the, the 49ers said, we're going to go like four deep on running backs. This is what Seattle to me is doing. And they are trying to provide insurance. Like it doesn't matter. One of them goes down. We've got another. They're not the same kind of back, obviously. Uh, I don't know if they think Kenneth Walker can sustain the workload of a feature back. Uh, so uh, to me, this was a bigger hit against Kenneth Walker than like bad for Zach Charbonnet. See, I disagree with that because we were going into the draft. I mean, you read a lot of mock drafts and Charbonnet was going places where he'd be a lead back, for example. Okay, w- Let's say the Bengals draft him and then they do cut Joe Mixon. I mean... We're talking about him as a round two pick in fantasy that, drafts instead okay. of a, an adjusted like, insurance back. Are there other spots? Because I hear you on the Bengals. But like other than Cincinnati, how many places, if Zach Charbonnet went there, would you have been like totally fired up about it? I would have, I mean, uh, you could you could come up with a few. I mean, you can go with Philadelphia. You could go oh, well, with... They traded for DeAndre Swift, right? Like, yeah, right. Well, they, yeah, they, they afterward, okay. after that, they traded for gotcha. DeAndre Swift. But, right. uh, you know, Atlanta, if they did not take Bijan. Yeah, I right, mean, there's... Bijan, right? There's, so my right. point is that like... Um, if you were to, that's why I was like, I'm, I'm okay with Seattle. There's not a bunch of spots. If you look at part of the reason why Bijan was such a tough player to peg in the pre-draft process was not because of his ability and not because teams tend to be a little more agnostic towards drafting running backs in the first round in the past 10 years or so, but because like you look at depth charts around the NFL and there were a lot of teams that either mm-hmm. already had a starter or had a couple of good enough players that running backs shouldn't have been a priority. I'm I'm actually okay with the landing spot but for Zach Charlotte. Here's here's my pushback there though. There's some of these other guys we're about to talk about who went to places where okay maybe 2024 they're the feature back in Seattle. You're like this is going to be years. It's okay, like it's so, almost like yeah. Alex Madison or something right, right. stuck or Tony okay. Pollard for you're stuck behind Zeke like. That's that's, that's my problem. I, I and, and I'll give you that for, but for I, dynasty value. I agree, it's not a yeah, good spot for him. Yeah. I think for redraft value, I think it's okay. Again, mm. less because of the location and more because of the fact it's a second round pick. I think he's going to have a role in Seattle. Let's talk about ranks here for a second because people are always looking for. Okay, put a rank to your analysis. For me, with Ken Walker the third, I I was tempted to maybe move him up inside my top ten of running backs, imagining that royal flush scenario where. That's this right, off I had season, they yeah. had yeah, they lost Rashad Penny, even Travis Homer, who played an important role for them, not just on special teams, but occasional passing down value. Mm-hmm. Instead, you now added not just Zach Charbonnet, but Kenny McIntosh in the seventh round out of Georgia, who his most notable trait is catching the football. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, this backfield is quite crowded. Now, I'm not totally out on Ken Walker the third. He showed some explosive runs last year. Obviously, a very talented back. He was in the conversation for offensive rookie of the year. But he settles in more like as a mid-tier RB2 as a possible low-end RB1. Yeah, you know what I think it looks like? I think it looks like Cleveland the last couple of years where Ken Walker is Nick Chubb. Okay. Because keep in mind, that's part of the reason I think they went this direction is Walker coming into the league was not a guy we expected to have a role in passing situations. And that showed up last year. He was not efficient in that area. He wasn't targeted much. That was going to be a limitation for him regardless. So I don't want to say he's going to be at that level of Nick Chubb, although he's an outstanding rusher and could potentially get there. And then in the, the Kareem Hunt-ish role would be Charbonnet as a rookie. So is there a chance Charbonnet can get into the flex radar in deeper leagues? Maybe, but his ceiling is just super limited. His primary value is insurance. Yeah, if Walker yeah, misses time, Charbonnet will be in the RB1 conversation. Very strong insurance. That much is I can't sure. wait till we talk at the end because every year, 
there's a team and it starts out like this and we're like there's no way the two of them are going to cut into each other and then sure enough there's an injury situation that happens and all of a sudden one explodes that's kind of what happened to kenneth walker because rashad yeah. penny broke mm-hmm. his leg and all of a sudden we were like oh hey pay attention to him he's pretty good and then we think okay all of a sudden he's going to be the feature back i just think seattle's been burned too many years in a row we've we've talked about it i feel like mm-hmm. they every year we talk about them like you know is this the year rashad penny is going to stay healthy what are they going to do at running back and i think after that again that's why i say this is a move that to me feels better for the seahawks like they are oh, yeah. making insurance and in depth than it really does for us for fantasy it hurts kenneth walker it it decreases the ceiling for zach charbonnet and we're stuck talking about it but you watch if if things continue the way they have for seattle all of a sudden zach charbonnet could be doing all the work mm-hmm. Uh, let's keep things moving here with some running backs that were not drafted in the first two rounds Back and us. either have no value <laughs> or need someone to get hurt in front of them for there to be any value. So maybe more with a dynasty I, uh, or dynasty value in mind. Let's begin with Kendra Miller, TCU running back, goes to the Saints in the third round, Mike. If Jamal Williams is the lead back, it could be that Kendra Miller is playing if Alvin Kamara is suspended. So maybe there's a short-term piece of value there mm-hmm. for Kendra Miller, but a good player because... It's possible that Alvin Kamara's days are numbered in New Orleans just because at some point the salary cap has caught up to them with having to move on mm-hmm. from high-priced veterans and with a roster that's got a lot of high-priced players. 2024 it could be the kind of year where you have to make a decision on someone like Alvin Kamara. Yeah, not the worst uh, late-round flyer in 12-team leagues because I, I'm with you. If Kamara opens the season suspended... You know he could he could get some touches early on, and if he flashes, he's going to be you know one of the potential sneaky breakout players. So uh, again, he'll he'll split with Jamal Williams open the season. Kamara at least this season will be involved once he's back from the presumed suspension, and then uh, he'll have a role. But I'm with you; it's probably 2024 is the year potentially for Miller. Tajay Spears goes to Tennessee, which is a very interesting <laughs> spot, Stefania, because yeah. they need someone behind Derrick Henry. He was going into the final year of his contract, but there were some medical concerns on Spears coming out of the draft. There were, and it's it's a shame because I absolutely loved him at the Senior Bowl. He was like my favorite discovery at the Senior Bowl, just really just to the eyeball test, just watching him run. I know he doesn't have blazing speed. There was some talk about that after the combine, but he's elusive. He's mm. elusive. He runs hard, and people loved him at the Senior Bowl, but he has had his ACL reconstruct, reconstructed twice, mm. once in high school and then again in college. Uh, to already have a revision ACL, meaning a second surgery on the same side, as of running back where we know knee injuries are a problem, that was enough to scare off a bunch of teams. I talked to a lot of teams who just immediately took him off the board because they were concerned about what the longevity could be. We know that these rookie contracts are looking at five years, but we talk about some teams are investing and saying, okay, we're willing to take the gamble if it pans out for X number of years. We don't quite make five, so be it. Uh, I'm curious on the thinking for Tennessee. I would just love to hear what their uh, value proposition was in terms of selecting him here. I hope that, you know, we always talk about what could happen. I hope that he defies the odds and mm-hmm. is very successful. But there's definitely some concern about his ability to hold up, certainly as a feature back. Devon A-Chain from Texas A&M, the fastest back in this year's draft, ends up in Miami, which, go figure, right? They just treat some <laughs> fine, course. speedy players. They bring him into their offense. Played at A&M, one of that one-cut running scheme system. And that's in line with what Miami does. A lot of outside zone runs where you find a hole, you hit that hole, and hopefully you break off a 25-yard run. This one is very interesting for 2024 again because both Jeff Wilson Jr. and Raheem Mostert were brought back on one-year contracts, right? So both of these players are going to be free agents after this season. I could see A-Chain having a role at some point this year 
But this just screams committee, so it's hard for me to make any investment in A-Chain in redraft right now. Yeah, he'll be in a, a smaller role out of the gate. They're going to use him for flash plays, uh, explosive plays. He's super fast, uh, four three six forty. He's 188 pounds, though, so there's no fantasy ceiling here. I'm sorry. I'm just not interested. I don't want him in rookie drafts. I don't want him on my team. He's probably a ceiling is something like Naheem Hines. That's probably best-case scenario. So just not, I, I like him from the Miami offense. So yeah. I'll have some yeah. fun with him. He'll be a playmaker. He'll have a from fantasy, no, no thank yep. you. Tank Bigsby goes to the Jaguars. Third-round pick at Auburn. This continues a streak. Trent Bulky, their GM, is now drafted a running back in every draft in which he was actually at the control panel. Wow. He's a new backup to Travis Etienne Jr., Mike. The only thing I'll say here is that while by the end of last year, obviously they were getting nothing out of James Robinson, which is why they traded him. And then obviously he now is with the Patriots. Like Bigsby, not much in the passing game. Could this hopefully maybe be a signal that they will get ETN involved more in the passing game? Maybe. I mean, Bigsby did see a big boost in that usage last year. So maybe there's some evolution there. Uh, I think this is more about Jamichael Hasty was their number two running back. And then Snoop Connor, they needed some depth there. They needed another guy to go with ETN. So I think that's all they were thinking here toward the end of day three. Uh, was a you know a top five running back prospect on most boards, so he's fine. He's a compliment. Yeah. He's not a guy that I'm worried about at all. It did not move my ETN projection. In fact, ETN moved up a little bit because they didn't address that spot, and down. Ken Walker moved yeah. down. So I get it. Uh, feeling feeling good about ETN here is the long term feature back in Jacksonville. Roshan Johnson goes to the Bears, fourth round pick out of Texas. You oh, know your team is good. Yeah. You know you know that uh, Bijan Robinson's really good when his backup gets drafted in the fourth round. <laughs> to me, what this underscores though is now you have what, four running backs that have a legit role, or at least Ugh. a legit shot at a role in, in Chicago, which means not good things for fantasy. Khalil Herbert, Roshan Johnson, also, uh, let's see, Travis, Travis Homer, who they drafted, and then they obviously signed Deontay yeah, Foreman as right. well. Foreman. So you've got four guys now competing for carries in a backfield that has a quarterback that is also one of the best runners in the entire NFL. This is starting to feel like a stay-away backfield. Maybe, though, because this is one of them things where you take a late flyer on a guy like Johnson, right? Because he goes to a situation where you're looking. This is another maybe answer to your question about uh, about Charbonnet, right? Where's the spot he could go where you're like, you feel good about him taking the one job? This mm. might be it because... Uh, look, Johnson, you take a late flyer, and if he just wins that job and is like like Isaiah Pacheco last year in Kansas City and is just clearly the top back, he could take control and be a 15-touch guy. I There's a leader. Really, that's in the that's range of outcomes. You really here. think that's possible? Absolutely. I don't. Yes. I don't. Why not? I think Deontay Foreman Because Deontay Foreman's coming off a career year, yeah. and it felt to me like Such a good I felt runner. like Deontay Foreman going there and – between how happy he was about it and how happy the Bears were, felt like there was conversation about how much they planned to utilize him. Plus the passing game value that you know Travis Homer's expected to have. I heard their entire staff talking about it, press conferences, talking about how much they liked him, what he can do in the passing mm-hmm. game. I think that if Roshan Johnson does win this job, win in air quotes, it's he might end up leading the team and carry some games. But I do think this is going to be one where all three, if not four, play a role week in and week out. Well, someone's going to be the odd man out. Teams just don't use four running backs. So well, three, Okay, three running backs week in and week out. The yeah. Patriots have done it in the past, right? I'm sure Bill Belichick, had, Bill Belichick probably had a week where he had seven running backs. <laughs> okay, but that's right? like the extreme. Sure. We're yeah. talking so about whatever. the I'm extreme committee backfield of the last I do think there's a decade. chance though, that, like, we know Khalil Herbert is good. I don't expect him to just fade away into the ether. Maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not as sure. I mean, really? he, looked, he looked flashy last year, but every time David Montgomery came back, Everyone was like, all right, Herbert played too well, right? They're going to, they don't, they don't, he just disappeared. I think some of that was because David Montgomery was one of the most respected players in that entire locker room. He just recently was named the Brian Piccolo Award Mm -hmm. winner, which 
That was after he had signed with Detroit. Like, I think some of that was locker room politics, not simply that, hey, David Montgomery is yeah. way better than Khalil Herbert. I guess so. I mean, at some point it starts to look, look at Dallas, right? Like, they love Zeke so much. And it was to the point where they're just like, this guy's too good. Like, Pollard has to play. Like, we, ha- we yeah, cannot use Zeke still <laughs> led them in rushing touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, he had a role last year. Yeah, he had a huge role last year. I mean, he was legitimately valuable for fantasy. He had yeah. a, what, a seven-game streak with rushing touchdowns? Like, that was locker room mm-hmm. politics last year at its finest in Dallas. Fair enough. All right, uh, let's go through some tight ends here. We'll be really quick because I want to get to the winners and losers of yeah. this draft. So tight ends, I think there is one tight end, one, that I could see having maybe some redraft value this year amongst the rookies. It's Sam Laporta, the second-round pick from the Lions, or from Iowa to the Lions. Laporta, good athlete, ran a 4-5-9-40, good after the catch as well. And the Lions tight end depth chart going into the draft was extremely thin. That being said, given the track record of rookie tight ends and the fact that there is a lot of other good weapons already on this Detroit offense, he does not crack my top 20, but he is the mm-hmm. one that I have the most intrigue surrounding. Michael Mayer will be number two in Las Vegas because he was considered a potentially the best prospect of all the tight ends. He ended up not being drafted first, but in Las Vegas, you've got Devontae Adams with a massive target mm-hmm. share, Kobe Myers is going to be a busy man, and they do have some depth. No great players, but, like, they signed Austin Hooper, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like for one year, potentially, this could be kind of a committee at tight end. Yeah, a year or two or three, that's where you're looking at break, uh, breakouts at the tight end position. Um, same thing in Green Bay. Luke Musgrave goes there, but Tucker Craft goes there in the third round, so they'll use both of those guys. They went with kind of the Baltimore tradition there. Yep. Take two tight ends and let them battle it out. And then Luke Shoemaker in Dallas. It's a pretty good opportunity, not a ton of competition, but... Again, check this out. Just really quick nugget on rookie tight ends. You need about 10 fantasy points to be a top 10 fantasy tight end, give okay. or take, you know, each year. Yep. Only four tight ends have averaged nine or more fantasy points per game in the last decade as rookies. Jordan Reed, Evan Ingram, Kyle Pitts, and uh, Pat Fryermuth was nine and a half. He was actually under that 10 mark. So it's a really high, high bar to get to. If there's enough tight ends out there, you shouldn't be worried about rookies and redraft. Let's rip through some wide receivers then, and, and we'll, we'll get back to some of the players that maybe need more attention for dynasty consideration later. But for the wide receivers, the highest drafted one in the second round was Jonathan Mingo, a guy who kind of built some steam towards the end of the pre-draft process out of Ole Miss, really good athlete. It was almost like, why aren't we talking about him as a potential mm-hmm. late-round pick? a late first-round consideration, and Mingo lands in a really good spot because if you go to that wide receiver depth chart in Carolina, yes, they signed Adam Thielen, who's, what, 33 now? Yes, Yes, they signed EJ Chark. He's coming off of an ankle surgery right now. I don't know when he is going to be back on the field. It sounds like they're hopeful for the start of training camp, but Chark was kind of a a yo-yo player, right? He might get you three catches for 102 yards and a touchdown. He also might go zero for zero in a game because he's more of a speed player I think Mingo has a chance to maybe have some redraft value here. Like, he was probably my favorite, not just because he was drafted highest amongst the non-first-round wide receivers, but my best match of landing spot and talent. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, again, there's not many of these receivers where you're like, they could be the number one receiver on their team within a month of the start of the week, one, you know, month of the start of the season. Yeah. He's one of them, right? Yeah, because, is. to your point, you know, it's Thielen and, and Chark. Um, you know, good speed. Size combo here for sure, which is intriguing. I worry a lot about his. I had him kind of buried in my ranks because his efficiency was horrific in college. That's not always a deal breaker, but that bothered me a little bit. Yards per hour run, a lot of drops, that things like that. But mm. 
Uh, to your point, late round flyer, good landing spot. That's that's appealing to me. Jaden Reed goes to the Packers, Michigan State wide receiver who really rose up the ranks during the pre-draft process as well, especially after a good week at the Senior Bowl. Not a big guy, not a super-duper fast guy, but checked enough boxes here to land in the second round. And the Packers are going to need some reinforcements at wide receiver because we talked about their depth chart recently. It is now a little bit rosier because they used two draft picks on wide receivers, this one being the only premium pick. But Mm -hmm. Jaden Reed, all of a sudden, could be the number two opposite of Christian Watson. Yeah, I think he will be the number two, which, again, makes him a fine late-round flyer. Uh, Watson missed a lot of time last year. He's not a a polished, finished product just yet in the pros, so we'll see how that goes. I still like him a lot, but it's a good fit for Reed. Um, Probably going to be used as a returner as well. Maybe I don't think that he's going to be a flex option out of the gate, but, again, that's the kind of guy you take that has a path that's an unknown talent and has an opportunity to play a lot of snaps in, in this uh, in this Packers offense with the new quarterback. So that's exactly what you use them late picks for. Contractual obligation to discuss a player that now plays with Patrick Mahomes. Rasheed Rice <laughs> yeah. uh, out of SMU goes in the second round. The Chiefs actually traded up for Rasheed Rice, which I always make note of that when it takes place in the first couple rounds because it means this team was determined to not let this player slide any further and not miss out on this player. And it's not like he was the only wide receiver still available, right? There were a lot of wide receivers that were in that range. They move up for him. That being said, if we've learned one thing over the past couple of years with Kansas City, they don't need a number one wide receiver to have a remarkable offense. And Travis Kelsey is going to be the number one pass catcher. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You multiply that by the fact that the Chiefs all of a sudden have strength in numbers at wide receiver, right? There's not a dominant number one. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is going to play 100% of the snaps, basically. Sky Moore is going to play a bigger role. Kadarius Tony is going to play a bigger role when he could be on the field. Rasheed Rice, he mm. is a good prospect, no doubt. He might be worth a late-round lottery ticket for the same reasons that you mentioned with the other two guys, but no sure thing in this offense. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about is the committee because Justin Watson was out-snapping Marquez Valdez-Scantling down the stretch last season, right? So you know, he might be involved. Like, 99, and, like 95% of the snaps it, in a lot it, of games. Yeah, R- Richie James might, is there too. I mean, sure, they could yeah. just keep rotating these guys in and out. That's the problem. And by the way, we've been biting on these Packers receivers for years now, these young guys, Michael Hardman, and Chief last Chief year everyone Chief. was scooping. Or what did I say? Packers. Packers. Same Packers. Oh, yeah, same yeah. Thing. Same thing, right. Um <laughs> We've been biting on them in the late rounds, mid-rounds for years, expecting a breakout like a hard mid. Even Tony, after he was acquired last year, Sky Moore was yeah. a popular sleeper. None of them have really worked out yet from a fantasy perspective, but this is one of them offenses where you just keep throwing darts, and yeah. all you need is one to hit, and it's good. it could be a league-winning move. So well, Pat- I'll be, I'll be spending Mahomes late picks. Patrick made it clear last rice. year that it could be anybody, and he was going to yeah. be thrown to different guys, and I don't think that's going to change. But you know what I like to say? The cream rises. The cream <laughs> and if rice rises. is the real deal, yeah. he'll just demand snaps, and he'll that be out deal, there and get yeah, targeted. Yes, I, I just I think that the that, that could be the, tr- the truth. Last year ago at this time, though, we were everybody loved Sky Moore during the pre-draft process, and then all of a sudden it's like, Sky Moore goes to Kansas City. Oh my gosh, cheat you know cheat mm-hmm. code here. And instead, he has a pretty nondescript rookie season. He did score in the Super Bowl. It was his only catch of the game, but he had like bagels in other playoff games. So all of these guys have it incumbent upon them to step step up. But I'm not sure any Chiefs wide receiver is a guarantee to break out. Let's just mention one more here, and I'll mention this one with an eye towards the future. Marvin Mims, mm-hmm. Broncos who had no draft capital, traded up somehow to land Marvin Mims out of Oklahoma, who I really like, by the way. He goes late in the second round. But the Broncos, who have, in case you missed it, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, under contract for at least this season, all of a sudden made a move up to land a wide receiver. So this goes one of two ways, in my opinion. One of those guys is not there anymore, and there's been a lot of speculation about a possible Broncos receiver trade. If that's the case, 
all of a sudden Marvin Mims becomes a little bit more interesting. Or all three of those guys stay, and Marvin Mims has literally no value this year, and he is simply a dynasty. Keep your eyes on this player back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, sometimes these guys get drafted, and you're like, they're buried. You know, I think I always think about Odell Beckham, right? When you tra- I know it was a first-round pick, but we are just like, man, it's going to be tough out of the gate. He missed a few games. He missed all the offseason. Yeah. It's just one of them things, right? If you're the real deal, you'll force your way onto the field. And I think Jerry Judy's kind of locked in. But after that, I mean, Cortland Sutton just hasn't really cemented a spot the last couple of years. I think he'll be around. I think if they were going to make a trade, it would have been day two, kind of when Swift was traded, day two pick, maybe something like that. Tim and Patrick then Tim Patrick, they soon. love. He's going to, he's, you know, but he's, he, they he's, love him. But, you know, if, if Mims is good, right, he, and he's just the real deal, he's going to be a starter in the NFL, he could get past Patrick and he can get past Sutton as well. So, again, I, I don't think he's the worst guy to throw on your bench, yeah. even in redraft, just because of the pedigree. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, by the way, I'm not ruling out a potential Broncos receiver trade. Now that the draft yeah. is behind us, teams have a chance to kind of reassess. All right, where are we lean still? And also teams that maybe are a little bit overstocked, like Denver, might be more willing to make a trade with different parameters that they wouldn't have been willing to make previously. What I mean by that is maybe Denver, if they were going to trade Cortland Sutton, would only do so if the team that is acquiring him is willing to take on all the money that mm-hmm. is currently due to Cortland Sutton. All right, now your depth chart looks a little bit more stacked. you got to sort of work through some cap considerations. Could Denver eat some money to make a Cortland Sutton trade happen? Not guaranteeing anything. I'm just saying that once the draft is behind us, there are new considerations that teams take into account. I'd just be surprised at this point if they do it for like a day three pick next year well, or something. It just seems a little late. Now. Yes, you're right. Yeah, but, I think uh, maybe a trade deadline deal if they're struggling yeah, or something. something it's like you hold yep. tight at this point. All right, let's talk about winners and losers. Spend about 10 minutes or so here, and we'll just run through them quick. Don't have to go super-duper deep, but Mike, you are first. Give us two winners from the draft based off things that did or did not happen. All right, so uh, there's a few you could go with at running back with teams that just did not really address that position. So I'll start with Tampa Bay here. Rashad White, right? Uh, I think he's kind of, he was a day two pick last year. Spent a lot of the season sharing with Leonard Fournette. Uh, actually had a lot more receptions than you probably realize. Even with Fournette, 51, there was right? 11th. He was yeah. 11th at running back in catches. We saw him in a featured role one time in week 12. He played 91% of the snaps, 64 yards uh, on 14 carries. Also had 45 yards on nine catches in that game. I know their offense is going to take a step back in volume and probably scoring this season as they you know get used to life after Tom Brady. But White uh, looked the part, and he's going to have a shot to be a upward of 20 touch. Uh, player per game this season. So uh, I'm excited for the breakout potential of Rashad White. So I'd go with him as one. Uh, The other winner, I would say, is Gabe Davis. Mm. I really thought Buffalo would be more aggressive at finding another wide receiver. The board, I guess, did not fall in their favor. And Davis just seems like he's right there as a great post-type guy. He's still going to play a substantial amount of snaps. He's going to be a year older. Maybe he develops a little bit better and they get him the ball more often. Uh, Maybe more high percentage targets because a lot of it was uh, in a vertical role last season. So not a not a sure thing by any means, but people are going to be a lot lower on him this year than they were last year. And he's in the same situation in this high-volume, pass-heavy offense. So I think Davis was a big winner. Here. Yeah, just five picks for Buffalo in total. I believe two of them were in round seven as well. Buffalo a little bit lean on draft capital this year. Yeah. Also spent a pick to move up to draft Dalton Kincaid, who perhaps, in their eyes, is going to play a wide receiver-type role. Mm-hmm. I'll give you two two more veteran running backs <laughs> in this case. James Conner. Now, Arizona is going to be really bad this year. But you know what? Arizona was really bad last year, and James Conner was super-duper valuable. The retort against the James Conner buzz is the same it has been for the past couple of years, which is, hey, James Conner is not going to play all 17 games this upcoming season. It never happens. Two thoughts. 
There's like two running backs that play all 17 games every season. Devin Singletary and Najee Harris. That's it. Right. It's like almost everybody else misses a game or two. It's not like James Conner has missed half the season over each of the past two years. Oh, by the way, like it didn't have to be pretty as a runner. James Conner needs to just catch a bunch of passes. And if you go look at that Arizona depth chart, first of all, be careful. It's really difficult to look at. It's not good. Who's the number two? Ball, at running back? Yeah, it's Keontae Ingram. Exactly. Sixth round or last year. So a sixth round pick last year. The, the Cardinals did not address the running back spot at all in this draft. Like, imagine if Charbonnet had gone there in the second round. Right? You You'd go. be feeling a lot better about yeah. somebody like Charbonnet, a little bit worse about somebody like James Conner. So I think Conner made out really well. And then Mike alluded to this one earlier, but the Bengals did draft a running back in Chase Brown out of Illinois, a player that I really liked. But still, fifth round, fifth round pick yeah. is different than using a second or third round pick. And there's been all sorts of speculation about James, about Joe Mixon and whether he would be cut this offseason because the Bengals are starting to navigate that tightrope, which is a byproduct of being really good. You got a lot of players that make a lot of money. And sometimes when one person gets paid, it means somebody else is getting cut. Joe Mixon's contract is all of a sudden becoming a discussion point. He, for now, not only is the unquestioned RB1 once again in that roster, but that contract seems to be untouched for the moment. So Joe Mixon, who right inside that top 10, and may not be nearly as sexy as some of the other guys that you're going to draft in that top 10 amongst running backs, but going to have a ton of ton of carries. It's going to be a very valuable pass catcher as well. Mm-hmm. How about you, Stefan? You got a couple that come to mind? Yeah, Samaje P. Ryan. To me, they the Broncos made a move very quickly early in free agency to make sure they got Samaje P. Totally. Ryan, and I think that was a reflection of the Javante Williams injury. And you know, Denver was very positive. Uh, if you listen, if if you've been following their discourse on Javante Williams, it started with. He looks great. We expect Mm -hmm. him back. No problem. And then like a month later, a month and a half later, it was like, so we're not going to put a timeline on it. And like he's doing well, but we know that there's ups and downs and maybe we're not going to put the time. To me, that was them walking it back and recognizing this injury was really bad for Javante Williams. I hope he has a full recovery, but it's a long one. It is not a straightforward ACL. So to me, the sensible move is to make sure you don't bring him back too soon. So what does that mean? More work for Samaje Piran. I was convinced they were going to bring in somebody else, maybe take mm-hmm. a middle to lower round uh, running back to add to uh, you know, their depth chart and, and take away some of the work for Samaje Piran. I don't see that happening. Mm. He can catch passes. and like This job could be really entirely his for a while, and we just don't know how long. So... Another winner for you, also running back. A lot yeah. of other running backs winning this weekend. Uh, yeah, well, Ramondre Stevenson, and I get it. You know, the the Patriots always have a, a plethora of backs that they can use multiple ways. But we saw last year with Stevenson and Damian Harris. Damian Harris goes to Buffalo. And yep. while they have other utility backs, I think we expect the bulk of the workload to stick with Ramondre Stevenson. So I didn't feel like they had a huge need. But New England being New England, they could have brought somebody in that yep. would have presented another challenge. So I felt like him staying put kind of secures that he will be the primary ball carrier. Yeah, one of the mysteries is James Robinson's health. Like three years ago, James Robinson was the crown jewel of the rookie running back class. Mm -hmm. Now we don't even know if he's going to make the roster in New England. If he does, I'm assuming it's because he looks more like his old self. If so, he'll have a role. But if not, Ramondre Stevenson could be top five running back once again. And Mm -hmm. even when they brought him in, I felt like his role wouldn't be a threat. To Ramondre, really. And he got zero dollars of guaranteed money, right. James Robinson. Zero point zero dollars of guaranteed money. Basically, every penny he has in his contract has to be earned by being on the field and producing.
By the way, we should I should just mention we should tread lightly on some of these guys just because there's still some free agents out there. They're no, probably going to sign totally. you think Leonard Fournette, Kareem Especially Hunt, Zeke Elliott. This is, a, this is as from. of today. Yep. This is yeah. a <laughs> seconds conversation. You're totally yeah. right. It could I'm totally waiting. change yep. if mm-hmm. yeah, all of a sudden Zeke Elliott shows up somewhere else. Yep. Uh, including Dallas, by the way. Let's go yeah. to losers, uh-huh. and uh, let's just go in the same order here, Mike. So let's just do one loser apiece. Okay, uh, mine is... I mean, I'm taking the layup here. Yeah. Okay, this yeah, is yeah. Yeah. Was, I'm taking the layup, right? I was really excited it. for a Tyler Algier potential breakout this season after the way he finished last season. He looked really good. I loved him as a prospect coming in. Super efficient runner, and he was terrific. I think it was four straight top 20 fantasy finishes to finish last season. Run heavy offense. So many things to love. And then the Falcons <laughs> are on the clock with pick eight, yep. and they take Bijan Robinson, and it's all over for Tyler Algier. Yes, he will have a role. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> probably a lot like um, Zach Charbonnet. In uh, in Seattle, he's going to get some carries. He's going to be on the field here or there. It's a very it's an offense that's going to be built around that running back position. But there's not going to be enough there. There's not going to be enough for him to be an RB two in fantasy. Honestly, probably not even a flex option. Mike, so it's a killer. If his role is comparable to what I think Zach Charbonnet's could be, <laughs> then the Falcons are ridiculous. And I there is a very fair critique of the Falcons that over the past two drafts prior to this. They drafted Kyle Pitts and have gotten very little touchdown production out of him. Right. This past year, they drafted Drake London, and while his target share did beef up towards the end of the season, did not get as much as you might expect out of him. Maybe that same trend will continue with Bijan Robinson. If it doesn't, my mind's going to explode, one, but that will be a whole different category because with running backs, there's no thought process. It's turn around, <laughs> hand the ball off, let him do the hard work, Behind what is a good offensive line, by the it way? Is. It's yeah. a good yeah. offensive line. They made another investment in the offensive line with Matthew Bergeron, pick 38 overall, traded up for him. Like, they should be able to move bodies around. Mm. A lot. I don't want Tyler Hutcher to play that big of a role, to be honest. With you. <laughs> I want him to be, like, very much a utility piece for this offense who, like, is there basically to spell Bijan Robinson when he taps his helmet to get a quick breather. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. Look, I took uh, I took Bijan in our mock draft, we'll which I think we're going to talk about in our next show, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm in. I have Bijan high. I'm, he's third on my board. So I'm, I'm with you. But I, I, just, I thought I will talk about it next, but I thought I would get him. And it just tells me how highly we think of him in that Yeah, spot. I'm, I'm very high on him. I just think, you know, it's going to be a, an offense that's going to run a lot. There's going to be yeah. opportunities for maybe uh, Algier to get seven to nine carries something like that and maybe one target yeah there's just not enough for fantasy relevance but he'll be on the field a little bit he's a good I player to play the ronald jones role in kansas city inactive, inactive. Right? Like, yeah. i want, I want well, Bijan to have yeah. all the carries all right so safari and i both had ken walker as one of our losers we discussed that earlier in the show so we'll bypass that one i'll mention this quickly rashad bateman my yes, how the I agree. flame can go out quickly yeah. right two years Bye-bye. ago first round pick obvious landing spot great opportunity you think all of a sudden, two years later, has barely been healthy, has barely produced, and now they have Odell Beckham Jr. and Zay, and Zay Flowers. Flowers. Feels like he is at best, at best, the fourth patch catcher on this offense as things presently stand. Mm-hmm. Mark Andrews, Zay Flowers, OBJ, Andrews the one, the other two guys interchangeable mm-hmm. as two and three. So Bateman, from a dynasty value, really seen his stock drop. One more losers to find you. Yeah, I I thought Dawson Knox, I thought it was interesting when Buffalo took Dalton Kincaid. And I don't necessarily, I mean, you alluded to this earlier that they may use him in the slot more as wide receiver. So it's not necessarily he's taking snaps on the field away from him, but he is taking target share away. He is, yeah. Yeah, he may be a tight end and he may be a wide receiver in their offense, but he's a tight end in our game is Dalton Kincaid. And it's hard. It just go back historically. When was the last time we had two tight ends on the same team? 
produce over the course of the season. It's uh, almost unheard of. It was the Patriots. Patriots, And then uh, there was one year where the Eagles did it with Ertz and Goddard, but Ertz had missed a few games and Goddard really spiked his usage then. So it's just, it's unheard of. So uh, Knox is more like a borderline tight end too. Now he was already not a guy you wanted to start. So now I mean, touchdown dependent in the past. He probably will still be going forward and it might be even more touchdown dependent than he has been. I just, I have no problem with the pick whatsoever for Buffalo. I do think it is a very wide receiver pick for them, even mm-hmm. though he's a tight end, because yep. not only do they have Dawson Knox, they paid him a ton of money, just did it. Like mm-hmm. It's not like they can get out from underneath Dawson Knox anytime soon, nor would they want to. He's a big part of their fabric. It struck me that like tight end Dalton Kincaid will be utilized like wide receiver Dalton Kincaid. Yeah, March 12 right. personnel in Buffalo this year. Right. March no, 2 tight ends yep. on the field. It's about it. All right, we're going to come back here uh, on Thursday and discuss our first mock draft, but that's our initial reaction to the 2023 NFL draft. We'll be talking about these players a whole lot more during mm-hmm. the rest of the offseason and, of course, as their careers get underway in the regular season. For Stefania and Mike on field, we're back on Thursday with our mock draft number one week. If you need a stick of tide, Field is your guy. If you're in Bristol or in Farmington, you should find another ride. Candidly, he hates Mike Clay. And you know that it's a fact. Every hater's gonna yate. Cause he's on TV every day. A spicy tomato stats and tweets that'll make you laugh he's our favorite host and everybody knows